Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Cleveland, Ohio. Welcome to the show, Matt Shields. Thank you, Victor. Great to have you here. So Matt, you've been in this business of real estate investing for quite some time, and you've grown a reasonable sized portfolio. Why don't you give a little bit of your backstory and how you got into this segment? Sure. So I've actually been in business for myself for a good number of years. And real estate has always been sort of a background uh, that I've enjoyed and, and participated in from various points in my career. I, I first started investing in property when I was about 19 years old. And those were more single family houses, fix and flips, rentals. We didn't really get into too many apartment buildings until relatively recently. I've had a technology business that has been doing quite well. So I've been able to roll some of those proceeds into apartment investing, put us in a position to be able to invest in larger properties. And when I first started getting back into real estate investing, I did take a break for about four, five, six years. When I got back into uh, looking at this, I first gravitated back toward you know doing the single families and and you know, what I had a background in. But the more research that I did, you know, the more times I kept coming across apartment investing and how much better it was, how much you know just with the scale and all of that, you're able to do so much more. So I obviously decided to to jump in more on the multifamily side than the single family business. For me personally, I wanted to be able to catapult myself as quickly as possible. So I joined groups with other investors that allowed me to be able to learn and just rub elbows with as many people as possible already in that industry. What you said actually resonates quite strongly with me. One of the things that I've always believed biggest mistakes rookie investors make is doing projects that are too small. I mean, after all, these are all active businesses and any active business requires a breadth of skills. None of us have all of the skills necessary to run the breadth of a business. And when you're doing small projects, you can't afford to hire all the skills you need to have a sustainable, scalable business. So when you move into the world of larger projects, you definitely have the opportunity to hire all the right skills because now you've got enough income to afford that. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And we certainly learned that on one of the first projects that we acquired in Atlanta. This was a 57-unit property that had been severely neglected for probably about 20 years or so. This was a, a complete mom and pop owner that really used no technology, no systems to be able to manage anything. Uh, this this particular property actually was being rented out weekly, which we, when we took that property over, it, it had a lot of challenges. You know, we, we, so we use RealPage to manage these properties. And incorporating a weekly rental into RealPage was incredibly, incredibly difficult. So what we had to do was we've had a little bit of background in using RealPage as a management platform. RealPage isn't set up to be able to manage a weekly rental income. And we had to reach out to two or three other contractors to be able to set up the, the, the system. So you're living in Cleveland, Ohio. You're investing in Atlanta, Georgia. Obviously, there's risk in that. The folks that were managing the property mismanaged it. 
And one of the most difficult things to do is to manage something remotely. You must have had some boots on the ground help to help you with the day-to-day to put the systems in place so that you could start to affect a turnaround on this property. Yeah, absolutely. And and that actually sort of goes back to the joining other networks. One of my main partners that I've partnered with a number of properties on actually lives in Atlanta. So fortunately, he and I both were very, very interested in the Atlanta market. So it, it's worked out very, very well where if someone needs to be the boots on the ground and go and visit that property, you know, he's the one who can make the trip over there you know, relatively quickly, it takes maybe a half hour or so to get to that particular property. And again, we're looking at many, many other properties in the area as well, but it, it has absolutely worked very, very well uh, having someone there. And, you know, the different tools and communications that we use to be able to make that relay of information possible, the technology certainly has made all of that Uh, a lot easier, a lot of that communication, a lot, lot easier. So you've gone from managing a smaller portfolio, predominantly single family up to a larger portfolio, now about 150 units. What were some of the main lessons that you learned from making that transition from the smaller type investing to the, the bigger properties? For us, I really think that economies of scale, being able to, when you think about having a duplex or a triplex, uh, or a quad, you know, if you lose one tenant from that base, you know, there's a quarter of your income that's already been depleted. Whereas with the larger properties, you have a little bit more leeway. Obviously, the goal is to try to keep it, you know, 100% occupied, but you do have a little bit more leeway with you afford all of the the mortgage and you know, all of the monthly fees and expenses and all of that. From that perspective, that was probably one of the biggest realizations going into this. So obviously, the the property was distressed. What were some of the main things you did? And probably you needed to turn over the tenant base because a weekly tenant is definitely not the same tenant as someone who's going to live there long term. What were some of the things that you put in place, not just to physically reposition the property, but also to reposition the property as an entire package so that you would attract the right quality of tenant? Sure. So one of the interesting things, so this is actually located in a smaller suburb of Atlanta called Hapeville. And Hapeville is actually going through a regentrification process right now. So there are younger people that are moving into the area that you know are very, very interested in, in living in the area. And it's, you know, again, a, a great, great city, a lot of new restaurants and newer buildings that people can go and enjoy. What we realized was this particular property wasn't utilized. They weren't doing any kind of marketing. They weren't you know, advertising online, which is obviously where you know, all of the younger demographics are gravitating toward. So we you know, obviously started using the marketing packages of RealPage to be able to get this property out into the world. And then obviously using technology once people are in the, the space as well, using the online portals and the online service requests, those are the types of tools and systems that the demographics of today are, are looking for. They want that ease and that convenience of being able to grab their phone and uh, pay their rent or quest service. So for us, those were a few of the you know, major impacts to that particular property. Certainly making the property 
experience as frictionless as possible is great, not just for the tenants, but it's great for you as the property manager, the property owner as well. It saves you a ton of time. You're not sending people around every month to knock on doors, collect the rent, they're not home, come back again, all of that sort of thing. Technology can really streamline the process in so many ways. No, exactly, exactly. And that's that's actually one of the things that we actually excel at is streamlining things as much as possible. The, the technology company that I had mentioned earlier, that's exactly what we do for other companies is essentially create business systems for uh, streamlining, automating as much as we possibly can. So uh, for us, again, we, we're not quite large enough yet where we are building our own uh, softwares, but that is certainly something that's on the horizon where eventually, once we do have the scale of properties, we will be incorporating some of our own tools and own systems that we've built. When we talk about repositioning properties, a lot of the time people talk about, you know, adding washing machines, uh, or adding, a, say, a covered carport, so charge a little bit extra for parking, things like that. What are some of the other things that you're looking at for repositioning a property, finding multiple streams of income, or additional services that might be of value to to residents? Actually, one of the things that we've started exploring is using uh, local restaurants to be able to uh, provide meals to our our residents. So basically what we do is we would go to a, a local restaurateur and say, you know, we own this apartment complex. We'd like for you to be able to, we'd like to be able to order food for our residents, you know, through you. So basically what ends up happening is uh, the, the residents would call our uh, our office uh, and just say, you know, we're going to be late tonight. Uh, could you get us a steak from Ruth Chris? Uh, we should be home around eight o'clock. So basically we would uh, work with that local restaurant, whatever restaurant that that may be, to provide that meal for that, that tenant. So obviously with our particular situation, what we would end up doing is we would go to a restaurant and uh, negotiate a discount on their whatever that meal would be. And then we would end up, you know, passing that savings on to our tenant. I love that. You know, one of the things that I see in particular when it comes to food service is really two types of demand that drive eating out in restaurants. The first are the folks that were looking for that dining experience. You might be going out on a date and you want that dining experience. You want good food, you want good wine, you want great service, and you don't want to have to worry about the cleanup or anything else. The second are the folks that are working hard, they're doing what they're doing, they're pressed for time, and they just don't have the time or the energy to prepare a meal at the end of the day. So they simply want to order out because it's easy. And I think that's driven a lot of the demand for some of these home delivery services, whether it's Uber Eats or Grubhub or many of these other services. But even there, they don't necessarily want to have to wait 30, 45 minutes for the meal to show up. They want to be able to pre-order. They want it to just show up. And having that taken care of by a sort of concierge service makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's exactly what we're what we're looking at as well. How do you convince clients that there is sufficient value in that to be presumably willing to pay a bit of a premium for the rent? So a lot of the people that we are attracting in our communities they expect that type of service today. It's not. It's not really something that we have to convince them of. You know the value of this. That's just. It's sort of a. It's a, a nice to have. They see it as, 
something that is a way to make their lives easier, make their lives more streamlined, more, they have more services available to them. So for us, we haven't really had much pushback convincing people that that is available or that they're going to pay a premium for that particular service. I love that. A good friend of mine once said to me, he said, Victor, when the value is unclear, the discussion always degenerates to price. When the value is unclear, the discussion always degenerates to price. And that means that if you're a commodity, you're interchangeable. It's like a quart of milk. Quart of milk, you know, you don't really care. It's white. It tastes the same. Uh, you know, whether you buy it from the grocery store or the corner store uh, or the gas station or Walmart, you don't care. It's it's a commodity. Whereas if there is something that's differentiated, now the discussion veers a little bit away from price towards, okay, I can only get this here. This is something that I can't get anywhere else. And then price starts to fade a little bit into the background in that discussion. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's that's exactly what we're seeing as well. If, again, if you can stand out in the market, like you said, you're no longer a commodity and you know your your service, your apartment, whatever it might be, is going to be seen as that much more valuable. I love it. Well, Matt, if folks want to get in touch, if they want to learn a little bit more, what's the best way? Uh, I would say actually through Instagram. And it's just Matthew Shields is my uh, Instagram handle. So that's probably the, uh, the easiest, best way. I love it. Well, Matthew, thanks for sharing your story with us. And for the listeners at home, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>